Hello and welcome to this Supernatural episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we are talking about the show Supernatural. Because, you know, a 15-season show we can easily talk about in one 60-90-minute to episode. Uh, But now that we've had the last season of it, we're going to be talking about the last season, about how different characters were handled, about how different romances or non-romances were handled, about found family. All that with two great Supernatural superfans, Ashley Coffin, who you've heard a lot on this and other ones recently, and turning from his semi-retirement as a former host, our special guest today as well, Jacob Malicic. All that and more after this commercial break, over which we have no control. Welcome back. I'm Matthew. I'm your host. As I said, I'm joined today by two great guests. First of all, uh, someone who's been a regular on the podcast recently, as well as a lot of other things on Stranded Panda. Ashley, I know I've been hearing about your love uh, uh, for many aspects of Supernatural for quite some time. I'm super excited to have you here to talk about it. Oh, thanks for having me. I was I was waiting. I was like, it's over. Can we talk? Can we talk about it now? Can we talk about it now? <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. And um, joining me as well is the person who first got that supernatural needle into my arm. Um, He and I recorded an episode about it uh, a while ago when I watched the first couple of seasons during his run as my co-host for here on Superhero Ethics, and that's Jacob Leachich. Jacob, also, I knew when when Ashley suggested we talk about Supernatural, I knew I want to do this, but I need to get Jacob back as well. It is one of the rare, rare occasions in our friendship where I was really strongly pushing for <laughs> you to watch something. And so it is near and dear to my heart, clearly, because I felt strongly enough to do that. Yep. Given that the last thing you had pushed me towards was Avatar, I was definitely going to give you a large benefit of the doubt for this one. And I I didn't like it quite as much as Avatar, but I certainly enjoyed the what I watched. And I I have not seen his last seasons, but I know both of you have, and I've certainly been reading a lot about it and seeing some important scenes. So a lot of me is just going to be me asking you two questions and stepping back, but I'm most excited to hear you talk about it because I know there's obviously so much discussion about uh, just how important the show was to so many people and and both the good and the bad about how people felt about this last season. Yeah, it's it's almost hard to like think of where to start. (laughs) That's why I'm glad. I'm thankful for you. (laughs) Keep us on track here. For sure, for sure. Well, so let me just start there. I mean, this is kind of a good time for retrospective. You know, we've just finished the show, uh, 15 season run, pretty damn impressive. What are your kind of general thoughts about the show now? Um, now that the whole thing has come to an end and we can talk about the whole thing as a whole. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great. I loved how many different twists and turns, you know, you went, how many different characters. It's kind of hard to... To say it didn't end in a way that I kind of wanted to end after such a long journey, but, I, I, you know, I liked it. I was happy. Yes. It generally, and, and I've said this when I've talked about the show on the podcast before, one of the things I really appreciate about Supernatural is uh, the relationships between the characters, the the sort of examples of, you know, with, with many caveats, positive male-male relationship, positive male-male friendship in, in many ways, in most of them non-toxic, but eh, some of them toxic, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also just the the journey of these characters who begin their lifetime on television in an almost adversarial relationship, you know, with that, that classic, quote, brotherly conflict thing, and then come to just this realization that they, they kind of need each other. And there's this really beautiful interconnectivity between 
the anchors of the show and as right. they expand their found family it's just it's I wouldn't have stuck with it for 15 seasons if there wasn't something there to appreciate. Uh, it, and it had its bumps. If it had ended after season, if it had ended after season five, I think it was, um, it probably would have been fine. I think that's what it was supposed to originally end. Instead, it went three times as long. Survived. There the were some bumps strike. along the way. Yeah, it struggled writer. to find its footing for a bit, but. Uh... Well, and so that's kind of a good question. And thinking back on it. Um... Did it earn all 15 seasons? Like, do you think looking back on it now, was it worth it for the show to go this long? Mm. Or do you think it would have been better had it ended after maybe season five or season 10 or 12 or, or whatever it would be? I don't think it needed all 15 seasons. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't think it needed all 15 seasons. It would have been a much tighter show uh, if, if it had just ended after uh, Sam went over with their uh, uh, half-brother. Uh, that that whole scene that could have been the oh, button yeah. on the show would have been a nice tight clean finish i don't i don't think it's bad to have gone the 15 seasons that it has i don't think it ended up in a worse place um but if you're looking at at a quality density i have to agree that it did not need all 15 seasons and it ended up spreading your layer of good television really thin <laughs> yeah they they had a couple seasons there where it just took like an extremely left turn to to uh, like it's fan service i think in a in a not the best way just yeah. the jokes and it's just slapstick and it's like can the first couple seasons of this especially season 1 and 2 you know some of the episodes were even might i say scary like they mm -hmm. had this awesome idea urban legends these two brothers who you know were at odds with each other trying to find their dad everything really made sense and then you know you get to like season seven and they just i don't know it, they you could tell there was a writer strike in there somewhere like things yes. went really yeah. sideways and i don't feel like the uh i don't feel like the show ever made it back from that i continued to watch and i really enjoyed it but it never had the same feeling or writing as like seasons one through four i forget i, I think that there were i think the this person was specifically talking about batman but uh, there is this idea that as something goes longer, uh, camp is inevitable, right? Mm -hmm. You can't escape yeah. it. And it is true that later seasons Supernatural had more campiness. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I didn't, for the most part, enjoy the hell out of Scooby Natural. <laughs> well, Scooby uh, Natural. Scooby, Scooby Natural great. was delightful, but it was incredibly campy, and you can't, you couldn't do that. In season one or two, the tone is such a big shift from from right. that. Mm -hmm. and, and you make a great point, Ashley, that the 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 original focus around these urban legends that was what really drew me in because mm -hmm. I'm a oh, yeah. big horror nerd Ooh, and too. a big mysticism, gnosticism nerd and stuff. And so when even when angels were brought in, and it turns out they were actually jerks, like that pushed my buttons too. It was yeah. We can but, really but like, get into buttons. that later because I have a huge yeah yeah yeah. 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 For me, like, I, I watched the first four seasons and then stayed up to date with a lot of the rest of it. I, I'm like you both. I, I love the theology of it. I love listening to ideas about, like, angels being jerks and, like, different I, different versions of the struggle between angels and demons and devils and how does humanity play into it. I also really like that, that you know, the getting into this idea that much of our sort of folklore is based in a reality that then gets, like, translated down. And I thought they did great stuff with that. 
Um, a lot of it reminded me of X, the X-Files episodes that I've seen. I haven't seen the whole show, but I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of the X-Files. But that same idea of, you know, a pair of two people who have very different interpretations of things, and they're often squabbling, but they make a good team. Each episode going to a new town and dealing with a new, like, is this folklore, is this reality kind of a situation. And it, it really gave me those X-Files vibes in the first mm-hmm. couple seasons, and I loved that. Yeah. Oh, I love I They did, like, you know, what, Bloody Mary and the Scarecrow mm-hmm. and the Lady in White, like that. That was – and it – I almost wish that they would have gotten back into that a little bit more towards the later seasons. Just things got so crazy that they would pepper mm-hmm. in every once in a while, like, oh, we're going to go on a hunt. We're going to do this. And it just felt so out of place. Yeah. And at one point, they they shifted. And you could tell, I feel like, from this one moment in an episode where uh, rather than making it making, rather than making the raw head and bloody bones central to the plot, it's a throwaway line in an early part of the episode that if you understand the term raw head, then you're like, oh, cool. And then that was just the cold open to a completely different story. But I, in an earlier season, Supernatural, that would have been the story because it was a retelling of, of old folklore. Yeah, um, right. I mean, I certainly remember... You were talking before about like the campiness, and I want to comment on that in a second. But I think another thing about when a show goes that long, and Supernatural is not the only one, to be sure, it can become very self-referential in a way that is, I think in some ways, very fanservice-y and very honoring to those people who have stuck through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I certainly know a lot of people who you know, eventually were like, okay, I've heard all the hype. I want to check this out. And so they watched the first three episodes of season nine or 11 or 13, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, or an even number 12, whatever it is, and just had no idea what was going on. Because by that point, like the weight of everything that's happened and their their willingness to go into fan service of that and, and the continuity of it, which can be great, just means that now it becomes a lot less accessible for someone who wants to start, but maybe not go all the way back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I feel a little because I feel watching it from the beginning. I felt a little bit betrayed when it just seems like it got really lazy. And, you know, you know, I know people, some of my girlfriends have gone to their like supernatural cons and they're, you know, they're just, I've seen the videos. The people are going crazy. They're spending five, you know, $500 to get pictures with them. And I feel like somewhere around there, things and the writing and stuff just kind of went a little, little too far. They started to reel it back in. Like I think when they started to introduce Rowena, and stuff like mm-hmm. the story started to get a lot better. But that, you know, middle part where, you know, if, you know, they're singing or they're doing something that people are going to pay money to see them do. That's when I started to be like, hey, man, I want to go to one of these cons so I can go look you in the face and be like, what are you doing? What are you <laughs> doing? I spent all this money to get kicked out to tell you that I don't like what you're doing. Come back to the to the story. Come back to the story. Ladies and gentlemen, fandom in Philadelphia. Um, it sounds <laughs> I very paid. <laughs> but in, in, so in general, if it had not gone as long as it had, then you, w- I don't think you would have had that time for that middle period that I think Ashley are very correctly criticizing for sort of leaning too heavily into the fandom. Um, mm-hmm. Although something we're going to talk about later is they didn't always, you know, treat fan desires or or pitches of yeah. ideas uh, well. Or seriously. Right. right. And we'll definitely get into that uh, in just a bit. I, I think the other comment is that it's interesting hearing us talk about that because certainly um, in the other fandoms that I know all three of us have shared and talked about, um, those kind of conferences, the, the cons you're talking about are, you know, there's Comic Con and there's been Star Trek cons for 30 years and all sorts of these kind of things. 
And it's interesting because in a lot of those, we often talk about wishing there was a lot more fan service in the shows. You know, all these things in the Marvel Netflix universe that we wished they had done, you know, to uh, help tie things in the way the fans really wanted to see. And I've been one of the loudest voices for those. And I still do think, like, with the MCU especially, I wish there was some more of those kind of things. But I think it's interesting to have Supernatural as kind of the counterexample of here's what happens when the writing becomes so fan y that it kind of loses the here's the thing that you originally loved and now it's just the, you know, I'm not saying it's that extreme, but that if these middle seasons it was kind of much more on the self-referential stuff and the campy stuff and not mm-hmm. actually what everyone has started to love from the beginning. Yeah. I think a lot of it had to do when they got to the seasons where they found out that they were just a story book or a cot, like, yeah. And you're like, well, what? Do you, I want, do you think that they had the ending planned out for Chuck when they were doing that? Absolutely not. Okay, uh, there thank are some you. things when you, when you, when you go back and yeah, when, when you go back and watch those episodes, which I did after fan fiction, when we were supposed to walk away from the ending of fan fiction, understanding that Chuck was, was God, um, which I did not. I went so back. just for like, um, just yeah. for those of us who have either not seen it or for those in the audience who maybe saw it, but don't have the, uh, crystal clear memory of it. Can you give just a 20 second explanation of what you're talking about there? Sure. So there's a, the, I want to say season six, seven, they find out that their story is being written down in actual books that are paperbacks and and are getting sold to people and they read them and there's fan conventions and whatnot. Um, And they're written by this person, Chuck, who is supposedly, they learn later, a prophet of the Lord. And that's why he, like, this is the gospel of the Winchesters, quote unquote. Um, (laughs) Oh boy. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Sure. Fine. That's, very uh self-aggrandizing but there's a later season episode where there is a group of high school students that are making a musical uh mm-hmm. of their story and oh, dear lord yep yeah. and at the end of the season or in the episode uh chuck this writer who was a supposedly a prophet and definitely on screen died we saw that happen mm-hmm. uh shows up and and gives a comment um, and this is supposedly when we're supposed to learn and we get like massively confirmed later that Chuck that whole time was not a prophet of the Lord. He was the Lord. Yeah. And has okay. been sort of writing and dictating their story, trying to get them toward his masterpiece conclusion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> and it's like, ugh, with the eight, like that stuff. I liked it, and I thought it would have worked so much better if God only kind of boop booped in and out, like when it mattered once in a while. Just like, oh no, oh God, God save them, yay! Like it did once or twice. But to, when you actually bring a character and go, "This is God" into the story, you have problems, and you better be an amazing writer because it's like at the Superman thing. Yeah. Like you, it's God now. It's God. It's God. Right. Well, especially because, uh, and, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, but it sound my memory of the seasons that I did watch and certainly of now what you're all talking about, it seems like the show is, without meaning to make a religious statement by any means, but seems to be very clearly saying the Christian, or at least our modern-day understanding of the uh, monotheistic Christian understanding of the universe and cosmology and all that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. is correct. Yeah. Like, it's very very much like, this, this, this version of God, of angels and all that, like, this is the truth. Well, is that a fair statement? Not, uh, not veritas, not not truth, truth, because other gods exist. Uh, old gods exist; they like encounter Loki. them, right? 
well, Loki, as it turns out, is actually oh, yeah, the Archangel Gabriel. So that that they <laughs> that, that went back left. In... Yeah, thank thank you. I yeah. forgot about that amazing twist. No, I did too. <laughs> and then we find out. No, actually, excuse me, you're wrong. Because in a later episode, we find out that Gabriel just stole Loki's visage, and Loki was a thing. Right. Okay. If you did it the first, if you if, if you had done it the first one. I think I would have seen a lot more outrage from my Norse pagan friends being like, oh, what? It took them like five seasons or something to, to make that quote correction, unquote. Oh, uh, and they do like an Ocean's Eleven style heist episode that features Loki and act- Gabriel and actual Loki. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that that's a digression. Uh, so I wouldn't say that um, it's saying this is truth because the, the portrayal of... The betrayal of God and the angels and, and the whole dichotomy of, of God and, and Lucifer and, and heaven and hell doesn't really play out like my understanding, at least, of, of what I grew up with for that religion. It's it's sort of a play on it. But it mm-hmm. does explicitly say that uh, God is the creator, mm-hmm. right? And so any religion that says otherwise about who created the universe or whatnot, uh, the show does say, nope. This is this is him. This is his, you know, art. Right. That also, to me, leads to another point that I know we're going to talk about in a bit, but it's just about this idea of determinism versus free will. Because I always think any time a show introduces the idea of supernatural forces, for, forgive the pun, um, <laughs> but that are kind of like moving the pieces, as, you know, moving our characters as chess pieces on a board, you start asking, well, do our is this all just a story we're watching that someone else has written, or do our characters actually have some agency and determination? I mean, spoiler, um, it is all a story that we're watching somebody else's written. <laughs> it's a fourth wall idea, but yeah. Well, also, always true, also true. So let's talk about that final season. Um, first of all, just in terms of how do you think this final season did of wrapping things up? Um, like, did, did it feel like there were still some major inconsistencies or things that, um, and we're going to talk about the romance in a moment, but but first, first just kind of on, on some of the other general stuff of the, the story points, did it feel like there were huge um, plot holes left or that most things had gotten kind of tied up and resolved? What would you kind of think of the final season as this, the coda to this whole show? I feel like they resolved what needed to be resolved, maybe in a little bit too easily of a way. I mean, they, we did lose a lot of major characters and I'll be honest, the uh, having to take that break in the middle has kind of messed up my memory a little bit of the first half the Rowena stuff, that was all the this season, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Rowena became the queen of hell this season. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, um, no, love that ending for her. The first half of this season I thought was going in a really good direction, and then the second half just seemed like um, they tied everything up with a bow pretty quickly. Right. Uh, I, generally, I agree with that, uh, Ashley. Is the They had a bunch of sort of loose or semi-loose threads and i think for the most part they they sewed them all up um part of it did seem like they didn't really have to me a good plan for what that would look like until they started writing the 15th season Mm -hmm. um and you know they took on a very ambitious uh plot arc for their last one Mm -hmm. and i do think it fell a little bit short but it's yeah I don't know how else you, like, I, I don't think you can write that particular villain perfectly. Um, God? 
<laughs> yeah, that one. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I think that yeah, that's okay. Uh... God is villain seems like an interesting plot choice. For he sure. is the the. I mean, God is the main villain in the last season. Yep, hundred percent. It's he's you know he they have to create a sister for him last season so that there might be somebody who could um, you know take him down or out and they never really use that. Mm. Uh, they, instead, he ends up. Uh, convincing and manipulating her to join with him in the final season which is not great but i mean just in terms of theology and it's funny how many shows take this for granted even though they're not by any means like christian um but the idea of god as he is very much a uh abrahamic monotheistic concept that does not apply in many other traditions certainly not many even modern understandings of christianity judaism or islam um, so that, even that alone is a very interesting theological choice that they probably were not thinking of. This. They're probably more thinking of in terms of like, well, cool, this is a language people use and getting a, you know, uh, an actor who's very clearly one gender is going to mm-hmm. be, uh, you know, would, if they didn't, would open a whole other can of worms. Uh, I agree with it, it that. Could and could great wanna... ways, but yeah, but, but it's just a very interesting choice in that regard. Ashley, sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. I want to talk about that when we talk about the Castiel stuff with the romance with the angels and stuff because I agree a lot with that and what, what like, mm-hmm. omnipotent beings, you know, are male, female, you know, gay, straight. Like, that, they fall into their own different kind of category with that. And I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. That definitely makes sense. That makes uh, sense. But get, getting back to how things were wrapped up, though, um, I feel like the, the ending itself could have been... It could have been different. They could have made a different choice. They could have gone with a the fight goes on ending. And I think it was actually kind of uh, brave of them to decide to actually put a button on it and, mm-hmm. and end it and end the story of the Winchesters. And mm. as a fan of the show, I appreciate them making that choice. Because if you're going to end something, you should give it an ending. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I also really enjoyed the difference in how each of the Winchester brothers went out because it, it lined up with their story and their characters, even if it wasn't, yeah, well, you, you could have an argument for whether it was believable given everything that had happened up to that point. Um, but and let's I, give a quick summary. It's that Dean dies while still fighting and Sam gets to live on and have a family and his child becomes a, hunter kind of it was more along the lines of like they had their their ride out into the sunset in the the episode before the last one and then in in the last episode they're just it's just a whatever case like a like a nothing run into the mill case and dean you know gets killed uh you know he gets pushed up against the wall where there's a metal peg and you're just like oh come on they showed the peg right before it happened you're like please don't do this don't do this don't do this because it even though it was very dramatic and it was like, okay, that does make sense. You know, like it would be the way that they would go out just on any random day, but it doesn't though. It just doesn't. Cause there's a million ways that Sam could bring him back or, you know, where, you know, where's all the people, where's Jack, where's Cass. Since we know that Cass isn't in the black void anymore, that he's building heaven. You know, we find out at the end with Jack and it, I don't know, I guess, but it was also this the time. So I do also think it was okay for the i feel so confused i digress yeah it's it's a conflicting thing um i think one of the things that helps me with it is that we know chuck is gone and Mm -hmm. we know that chuck wanting his particular end for the winchesters was a driving force behind why they keep coming back and Mm -hmm. dean explicitly saying no 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 
I this was I know this is the time I was completely free. This was my choice. Don't you dare bring me back, Sam. Yeah. This is how it should end for me. I thought was a good button. Mm-hmm. But given it, it is a tougher pill to swallow because of how many times they've had a situation exactly like that and whichever brother didn't die bends literal heaven and earth mm-hmm. to bring the other one back. And right. this one time we're meant to believe that nope, that isn't what happens. And if yeah. you if you accept that the reason why that kept happening was in some small part not entirely, but in some small part due to Chuck's influence. Chuck being gone makes that scene work. I, I can yeah. definitely understand that, especially from the perspective of often in these kind of shows, part of what we're supposed to understand is that in every fight, like our heroes are not invulnerable. There's always that chance that, you know, the numbers are going to catch up with them. And that even if they have like a 99% chance of winning every fight, there's always that chance that that one bad guy is going to get in that one lucky blow and they're not going to get the big glorious death against the big bad in the final episode. They're just going to die randomly. Mm-hmm. And um, forgive me, there's a Buffy spoiler I'm going to have to do um, for the last season of Buffy. So skip ahead if you don't want to hear that in about a minute. One of my favorite things in the show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, is that one of the characters, Anya, in one of the final battles dies but not in this, like, she, like, often what you'll happen is, like, that character will make a glorious stand, or they'll make, like, the perfect speech right before. Or, the, or, for example, Quicksilver dying in Age of Ultron to save Hawkeye as the payoff to this thing about, you know, I didn't see that coming that they've built up for so long. Like, that's often how these things happen. And, and Anya just died randomly because one of a thousand, you know, bad guys got in a lucky hit. Mm-hmm. And I kind of love the idea that that's how Dane would die, because he's just always going into danger and one time the numbers catch up to him. But I can also understand how you're right that like if the show has established that that will never actually happen because we can always save someone from it to have it this happen this one time if it's not the Chuck thing does seem to be seem kind of off. But but I do like at least that they did that of like you're not always going to die in the big glorious moment. They tricked me because I really thought it was going to just be regular people. Like, they kind of set it up to just look like murders, mm-hmm. and I think they'd only yep. done that once before, and I almost would have accepted that a little bit mm-hmm. more than this, because that would have been... But I think that would have been a little bit too heartbreaking for the fans. I would have liked it, because I'm a monster, but I thought that would have been <laughs> better. <laughs> I thought it was, too, and I agree with you 100%, Ashley. I think it would have been more impactful if it was just people that ended up being Dean's Undoing and not vampires. Which is right. what it was. Vampires were introduced in season one as this, you know, way out of their league uh, monster that, like, they were going to have a really hard time taking care of. They needed dad to help with that. Uh, right. But at this point in the show, they've offed some absurd number of vampires, <laughs> right? It's just some incomprehensible number of vampires that probably outweighs the number of characters that have names. Uh, but... <laughs> Look, when you're level one, the level five vampire seems pretty bad. But once you've right. taken on the level fifty deity, yeah. you know, right. then the, the... just let me ask this. Let me ask this then. So we get to the big finale, the last big battle is resolved, but the fight is still going on. You know, they're still fighting right. vampires or whatever it is. So I, my question is, what is the Winchester's legacy? Did they? 
did they fundamentally change the aspect of the like the because I would have thought that the show ends with them sort of conquering evil or you know so there's no more monsters going forward or something clearly that didn't happen no. do, do you think that the the end of the show is that they did though make some fundamental difference well, or is it more that just that there's always a huge threat and the Winchesters stopped those threats for 15 years but now there's going to keep being more threats as always and someone else is going to have to stop them instead the, they went with their storyline as Chuck slash God was destroying the entire universe and then the planet was going to be the last thing. He was undoing everything and starting over. So technically what they did was save Earth, I guess, or this universe because he had right. already undone all of them. So okay. and then they, now Jack is God. Right. So now they're now they're adoptive Nephilim's son, Jack. Yeah has absorbed God's power and become God. Mm-hmm. Um, As you do. And, yeah. and his plan is to be completely hands-off. Okay. Uh, but he did fix heaven because heaven was weird and honestly <laughs> felt a little bit like a different form of hell to me. Yeah. yeah. Him and Cass fixed it, though. They threw up some you yeah. know, new curtains and some throw rugs. They had all the girls over for tea. It's great now. Put a, right. Made a big amount of roads so that Dean could have his driving moment, <laughs> his moment of being free Kansas and also dead. 24-7. Oh, yeah. Just carry on Wayward Son the whole time. I, uh, I, I'm going to look into copyright rules because I really want to use like a 10% clip of a 10-second clip of um, Wayward Son as the intro music or outro music for this. I think that means I might get sued into oblivion. So we'll see. Um, yeah, I, we can't even sing it, I think, which is like, yeah, be a rebel, do it. <laughs> but, but it, so, so I guess what I'm, what I'm hearing from you is then it seems like that the attitude of the show is there was evil in the world and monsters long before the Winchesters came along, but that it got kind of turned up to 11. And instead of it just being the garden variety, you know, some people get snatched and there's kind of a balance that the destructive forces became much stronger and there was a, a real attempt to unbalance everything and wipe everything out. And what the Winchesters did was their legacy is that they restored the balance and they're still vampires. They're still, go- you know, ghosts and goblins and mm-hmm. ladies in white and all that. But then they at least stopped the that one moment of could have everything been destroyed. Is that, is that kind of a more accurate summary of it then? Mm hmm. They averted multiple apocalypse or apocalypses <laughs> or however you pluralize mm-hmm. that word. Uh, if if this show was written by Joss Whedon, they would have had a pair of gravestones that said underneath their names, they saved the world a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> they did. Uh, yeah. But it was it's never the case. And... and that was something I was concerned about, actually, is that after beating literal God, after they've had their JRPG ending, the world was going to be, you know, all fixed and all better. And, and when Jack brought everyone back, he would only bring back, you know, the, quote, humans, as if humans are, like, completely pure and not without problems um, and not bring any of the monsters. But um, that didn't happen. Um, and that's actually something I find very interesting and compelling about Jack's character in that instance is that he had a choice when he was bringing back the sentient beings, right? To only bring back the quote, good ones, unquote. Um, He doesn't make that choice. He doesn't make Mm -hmm. that unilateral decision of who deserves to exist and who doesn't. He's just like, no, I'm just going to undo the eraser. Um, Which is a very sort of even handed approach to being the supreme being. (laughs) Right. 
So let's now talk about the issue that has been all over social media about this. And I know uh, there's a lot of strong feelings of um, people have been wanting. And I think there, there's been a whole bunch of discussion about how much the show was pointing towards the idea of the, um, the love between Castiel and Dean. And uh, we obviously have uh, a step towards that in some way, but in a lot of in ways that a, a lot of fans found really frustrating uh, and, and hurtful in some ways. And other fans maybe did not see it that way. Um, but Jacob, I know this is an issue you've been talking about a lot. So why don't you kind of start us off? Tell us about how the, uh, Deniel or, or Castadine, what's the Destiel, the, Destiel, Destiel. Thank you. uh, <laughs> tell us about the Destiel of this last season and, and, and some of your feelings about it. So for, for those who are unaware, uh, I guess I've just been under a rock for any of the news articles or not wanting to read it, but wanting to listen to this episode, uh, in the last season, we have the character of Castiel, who's the angel who angel of Thursdays, uh, who raised Dean up from hell nth seasons ago, um, and has been building a really strong relationship with both of the brothers, but with Dean specifically, uh, their relationship getting stronger and stronger and more dependent on each other. Um, there's a moment where death is coming to kill Dean. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to reap Dean, and Castiel has this this scene where he confesses his love for Dean right before going to what I could best describe as super hell. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> like it's 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 worse than hell. Uh, right. It's the place in, in canon. It's the place where created beings, quote unquote, as if not every being is created, right? But like where beings like uh, angels. And demons go when they die. Got it. Right? Okay. Is is in the conceit of the fiction, that's where the empty is. They go to this sort of nothingness. Um, and that one-two punch of a uh, homosexual character confesses their love and then gets ripped away immediately uh, is very, very damaging. And I, I, when I saw it happen, I could not believe that the show writers would jump willingly into that trope uh no knowing full well like this is not something that people have been burying uh this is or, or, or burying the lead on or what have you this is very in your face these days i feel um and rightly so as a this is a trope you should avoid right um, and just to be clear that the trope you're talking about is the bury the gaze bury your gaze trope yeah. which i think yeah. we've talked about somewhat on this podcast we've not gone into it we as have. much as i've wanted to um but it's it's basically this idea of for a long time in fiction, especially TV and movies, like we started to see gay characters emerge and LGBTQI characters emerge, but they would almost always die tragically. And part of that was uh, a lot of this started during the, the, the heyday of HIV AIDS. And so you almost always had gay characters with, with that disease. Or it was, you know, there would be true love and someone would get murdered in a gay bashing or there would always be some kind of a tragic ending. And... In the same way that, you know, you can have, um, you know, you can have uh, a character of any background be any background, except that when that always is what happens, there's a real desire to not have it. Like, you know, we've seen enough black actors play drug dealers. Can we have something else? We've seen enough Asian characters be the super smart techie guy. Can we have something else? And I think that for that same reason, there's a real sense of like, sure, a homosexual character sacrificing themselves for love is a, is a thing that could happen sometimes. But when we've seen it so often, 
and there isn't other gay characters in in the in the thing that do get to live happily ever after, it's seen as just really hurtful and offensive and and problematic. And so I want to just kind of give that context yeah, to the listeners that, who aren't and fully up to that last it. point is really I think the 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 sticking point is there the problem is in even in today's media we don't see enough of characters in homosexual relationships just being stable and happy um they it are un, invariably end up at a bad end and there's this idea that you know it's being written that way because we're trying to tell people that hey you're choosing a, a life of, of sadness and tragedy if you go this way, and that sucks. That right. is incredibly damaging. And I think right. often the thought is that, and like, false. at this point, it, it's subtle enough that the writers aren't necessarily thinking that themselves. It's just that they're playing into that idea because it happens over and over and over again. Um, I agree. I do yeah. think that it's incumbent on someone in a creative industry to be aware and analyze one's own work for it. Uh, oh, 100%. Right. So I don't think they get a pass, but in, in a vacuum, right? I think the story of, we, when we've seen this in many forms of media with, with heterosexual relationships where somebody confesses their love for someone, sacrifices themselves for that person. Um, it's just, it's... It's unfortunate that it had to happen with the, with a love interest for or somebody who's interested in one of our lead characters, uh, and has been part of the mainstay cast for so long. And it's that moment, that moment's when he goes away. Um, and and it's, I'm pretty sure, yeah, Ashley, you mentioned earlier that he does come back from the empty. Uh, we are told, and helps Jack rebuild heaven to, to make it better, to put the tapestries in the right place or whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't see him. And part of that is out of their control. But I feel like maybe it would have been worth waiting so that we would have a reunion mm-hmm. in heaven between Dean and Castiel. Um, the reasoning being, as I understand it, the last two episodes were filmed with a very limited cast and crew due to the current circumstances due to the coronavirus pandemic and mm-hmm. some people are probably tired of hearing about it but hey it still exists so mm-hmm. wear your mask yeah yep wear your mask no that, that makes a lot of sense about how that could affect things uh ashley i've been talking for quite some time uh what, what is your take on on this i'm, I'm curious your uh, thoughts it's not that i'm avoiding um sure <laughs> okay i just feel like if they were going to put that in the story and make it something that prominent um that wasn't the time to do it because someone like me who's never seen dean winchester you know in any to me i've never seen him act you know by or or that way and whereas angels and this is the sixth time castiel has died while telling one of the winchesters that he loves them like i don't know i just Mm -hmm. it wasn't anything new for me so Mm -hmm. i didn't think to look into it more um, and like, I don't like not exaggerating. I think he's died six times. He has. He 100% has. Yeah. One time was when he was trying to be God, to be fair. Yeah. Okay. So uh. we'll X that one out. But most of the, a lot of the times it was, you know, some form of sacrifice, just like every one of these characters kind of have, which is also like when the Dean thing happened, I'm like, okay, when, when's someone going to come get him? When's someone, hello? When is someone, oh, wow, right. they're not. And I felt like that happened with Castiel. And I thought that their choices to to kill off certain characters and never bring them back again, like they did with Crowley. Um, we mm-hmm. hardly see Rowena again. Um, and the last people, you know, they didn't even bring the parents back at the end. They had Bobby there at the roadhouse. And I thought that was really right. beautiful because this is, you know, 
Dean and Sam's heaven with everybody else who this is heaven for too. And for Castiel, I didn't think that it would have been right for him to be there because it's not his heaven, maybe. Um, there's, you know, Jack, he, he loved being almost, you know, a father figure to Jack. And I feel like if it came between Dean and Sam and Jack a couple times, he showed us he would pick Jack. Right. right. No, that, that is true. That is established in the fiction. Um, and so I don't, I don't disagree actually with, with anything you're saying. I think the reasoning behind, and this is, for, I can only speak to my own reaction, mm-hmm. but the reason why I reacted more strongly to this specific instance of Cass telling one of the Winchesters he loved them and then getting yanked off into whatever fresh death he's getting mm-hmm. is we knew this was going to be the last one. Right. Right. We, mm-hmm. we, we know going in, this is the last season, he's probably not doing this again. So this is the, you know, this is the make it count moment. Um, and unfortunately... It that particular scene felt to me much more like a confession of actual romantic love mm-hmm. from Castiel to Dean, whether it's requited or not. And we could talk about Dean's specific sexuality um, and, and probably argue about it. I think that there's some, some cases to be made because of Benny, uh, because right. of Crowley. Uh, there are other characters he's been involved with that it would be subtext because they don't show male male romantic relationships on screen in that show for whatever reason um other than once uh there was that one episode i don't want to erase it uh where it was a pair of people cosplaying as the winchester brothers oh yeah uh, yeah and th- 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 gross, they were the involved fanf- yeah not, yeah, not yeah. gross but there's some fanfic out there that's just you know there's tasteful fanfic and then there's like furries fanfic but i'm yes. not well there's nothing explicitly wrong with being furry, and there's but no. I, I do think Wincest crosses a, a social brother moral sister. Line. Oh, I mean brother. Yeah, yeah. there is yeah. Bro- brother black sister. Fan- yeah, yeah. All fanfic is legit. I think we're just saying like there's some that uh, um, crosses certain lines with the brothers and the like. And I, right. I, 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 well, let me say this. I, I want to get back to the Castiel part of it because I think it's important context there. But first, I want to just say, um, Ashley, did you have any response in terms of the idea of of Dean possibly being bi? Because no, my impression is that's that's not how you saw it. To be no, sure. I, and you know what? I, I actually like reached out to a couple people to be like, "Have I just been too straight to ever see this? Like, has have any has anybody seen this before?" And a lot of people were, you know, adamantly like, "No, it, like borderline misogyny sometimes with Dean." If you look back into the earlier seasons, so I and I was just trying right. to rake my brain, and that's why I'd be super interested to hear like what examples, like what do you remember right. that I'm I'm not remembering. And, and it's it's sort of a, a change in his characterization because you were absolutely right. Early on, Dean is very is very much a hound, and in a lot of very toxic, very damaging ways. Um, the, he he has this like hyper masculinity. Um, and, and to be clear, that is by no means mutually exclusive with being bi or queer in some way. I mean, often right. those two things can right. be very linked. Right. Uh, as um, characters figuring out that about themselves, but yeah, and, and where I, where I'm going is that. As the show progresses, when we get to the later seasons, he has these clearly very, very deep emotional connections with Crowley and with the vampire Benny from Purgatory. And the way he responds to them and to Cass, admittedly, is it's difficult for me to describe, but there's a level of intensity to his emotion and his the character's expression that I feel could very reasonably be interpreted as... Uh, as, as emotional ties beyond mere friendship, I'm not saying that, I'm I'm not saying declaratively 
that that is the case. But I do think it is possible to read Dean as bisexual. Right. And, and I think what this also... Well, actually, uh, let me cut that off because Cassie, you wanted to respond to that. Before no, I no, I agree. I mean, every it's what people get from art and see different things in. Nobody's ever wrong, you know? Maybe because I'm a straight, you know, white female who it was, you know, completely captivated by these two men, I wouldn't even be looking for that. You know right. what I mean? Because I wouldn't want right. to see it. Not that I wouldn't want to see it, but you know what I mean? I'm just like, that, you know, I'm going to sound just... like a 12-year-old, but like, hot guy. Oh, my God, I want to, you know, I want to marry him. We're going to have kids. We're going to all be hunters, you know? Right. No, no, I get it. I you get had it. a decided uh, interest in his interest in women, which is legitimate as well. Mm-hmm. And bisexual doesn't remove his interest in women. It reaffirms his interest in women. Right. I, ju- I just never saw it for that. Ca- ca- I would even say Sam maybe over over Dean, but I never I think that I always saw Dean as that tortured soul. Like someone like myself, you know, I don't I don't have a lot of family. You know, I had, you know, I never met my father and I don't, you know, stuff like that. But you feel certain ways about your friendships that people who have family can't understand. Like those you right. meet people along your journey who become your new family and it is a love over a friendship. It doesn't mean it's romantic, doesn't mean it's not right. romantic, but it is a higher level of just friendship because you you have a stronger need to not, you know, lose these people. You want to protect these yeah. people. And and that I agree with. It is is also a completely reasonable interpretation mm-hmm. that Dean just feels strongly for people that he makes connections with because his as as soon as you enter the family slot in Dean's brain, and this is something I think is wonderful about both of the Winchesters. Once your family, they like it, you don't have to be blood related. They like they go okay. No, you have now ascended the level of family, and now it's the mm-hmm. same. We're going to move heaven or earth. Everything we feel is at the highest level of intensity. We we love you as people, and so right. it is also completely possible that these relationships that I am seeing potential you know, romantic interest in are just Dean thought of Crowley as family. Dean thought of Benny as family. Dean thinks of Cass as family. That kind of. And I think I really want us to go further on this idea of the found family, and we're definitely going to go there in a second. But I wanted to pull us back to the Dean Castiel and switch it from talking about uh, Dean to Castiel, because actually I hear what you're saying about it felt like this was the same confession of love he's made before. I think it's really interesting because the actor, Misha Collins, has very specifically said, that, and I think I'm quoting here, that in his his understanding was that that was a declaration of homosexual love, that that was the words he was using, mm-hmm. uh, that this was a romantic sexual love, not just the kind of brotherly bro love, which I, I'm not using that in any bad way. I'm all for more expressions of male-male love that are not romantic, but, but that I think there definitely was a, as he understood it, a, a romantic declaration there. I think what this gets into, which is the other big part about why this is also problematic is not just the barrier gaze trope, but the queer baiting trope. And again, for those who don't know that term, what we mean there is that a lot of times it seems that shows will have a lot of fun planting, like, like you said, Ashley, people can see anything they want to see. And then often we can have different interpretations and that's great. But that there's something that happens a lot where a show will very clearly and give you all the sort of steps you need to take you to the conclusion that a character is queer or a character is trans or something like that, but never quite cross the line of being explicit so that the people who don't want to see it or who would be offended by it or, you know, call boycotts or whatever because they are homophobic, they never quite cross that line. 
and that this can often be really problematic because it's a you're giving us hope and taking it away and and you're acting like the thing that we're looking for is is illegitimate or not not as okay as something else and i think the fact that even now when the actor is specifically saying like clearly this was meant to be my saying i am in love with you dean but that fans some fans may not have seen that is to me again one more time where the show is saying like eh we're going to we're going to let people who want to have that have it, but we're not going to make it explicit. I do have something, a little something to say about that. Um, I, I went and I looked up what his exact words were, and it seemed like he had posted on Twitter first defending the end and saying that he was upset that people, you know, um, weren't happy with the end. And then people kind of like came for him for it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the apology tweet that he or tweet that he was like, and I do believe that it was romantic. But as the actor, like. I kind of need the writers to come out and tell me that that's what they were doing. Because mm-hmm. the I actor... Don't... Go ahead. No, no, no. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Continue. No, it's okay. Because I, I definitely can see how the actor could interpret that, but um, he wasn't saying it right away. And then kind of like, it's that whole, you know, you get in trouble on Twitter and you have to, you have to, so, you know. Just for context, my understanding is that that's not actually correct, that the first time he said it was in a panel that happened right after the... Uh, I think... Th- my understanding is that he said it first in a panel discussion that happened soon after. He then posted something talking about why he was, why he felt that it wasn't a barrier gaze moment, uh, and that that's what he later then was apologizing for because people pointed out to him why it was hurtful. Um, now, I, you may be right as well, but my understanding is that the the details lined up a little bit differently there. That that is my understanding. That is that is my understanding as well. There was a like Zoom panel type thing that they did. Um, that's where Misha you, you vocally said uh, that he had, there was a confession of homosexual love, talking about the that story moment with his character, got into this thing on Twitter. So I think that is the correct chronology, but I haven't been, I, I gotta confess, I haven't been following it very closely uh, because, and this is something I, I, this is what I was reacting to, actually, is that I also would love the writers to come out and say, yeah, that's what we intended. I yeah. think they won't for the mm-hmm. same reasons we've had piles of documented cases of queer baiting in supernatural with nothing really to show for it other than charlie and charlie even got her love interest erased uh unceremoniously in the mm-hmm. last season like mm. if you could if you could point to something in the show where they didn't do this maybe but like even f- like first charlie got super Oof. murdered right yeah that Uh, was brutal just really really nasty and not good um and then second charlie from alternate universe like had a relationship with dorothy right from wizard of oz that was a weird episode too yep that was i have thoughts about that but um (laughs) the relationship was good the episode (laughs) anyway uh (laughs) the but you know no single they had two chances because they got gave us two charlies to not have that happen and yeah it's yeah. it sucks if they had any track record to show for no he, we we do treat uh we do allow homosexual characters to have happy endings and treat them as equally important um but they don't and so mm-hmm. they can't really st- it's hard to defend saying well you know we're not playing into the trope because uh, we didn't know about it or whatever. It's not like people haven't been calling them out on it for years. Yeah. Right. And and as we've seen through other things, 
it's very clear that they are very aware of what the fan community is saying and doing and often responding to that in other ways, which I think because I think in some shows you can say, look, we as writers are just never going on Twitter. We're not in any way interacting with what the fans are saying. We're just writing the show we want to write. It seems very clear that in Supernatural that that's not the case by any means. And I, I forget where I read this, but I did read somewhere that and I, this may be apocryphal. But I thought I had read somewhere that Misha Collins was on board for the the that relationship to happen in canon, and Jensen Ackles didn't think it was consistent with Dean's character. Um, and I, again, that might be completely apocryphal. I just something put that idea in my head that these actors had both said these things. But I went and tried to find it this morning to you know to do my homework before the podcast, and I couldn't find it. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if I'm making that up or not, but it's certainly true that if you know, you're going to have a hard time portraying something if both actors aren't on board with it, right? Yeah. I yeah, just I also am. kind of agree with him, though, because, I mean, he knows that character, and I don't, he doesn't seem like someone who would shy away from doing something like that, though I haven't really, you know, checked to see if he's ever been um, gay and anything else. But uh, I feel like if they called up for it for the boys... You know, that show can get a little crazy and I'm interested to see what he's going to do in a different role. But I have to agree, like for the Dean Winchester that I thought that they showed in the show, it just it wouldn't have made sense for his character. But I agree to disagree. But I I I don't think again, I don't think your take is invalid. Uh, I have a different interpretation from having watched 15 years of this show as well. Yeah. Um, And once you get that long, it's very easy to have divergent. Uh, ideas about characters as well yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's something to do with the, the show's run um yeah. i think sam winchester is far more attractive i think jared padalecki is far more attractive than jensen ackles <laughs> see it uh, was seasons one through about six and then somewhere dean started to look like a man's man i started to like i and, and see, sam got too whiny i was such a i was such a gilmore girls fan and I hated the character of, of the the actor who plays um, Sam in this played another character named Dean in that who was a terrible person, and so I just could never find him attractive. It's, it's interesting, because early early season Supernatural, I think Sam, I think Jared looks goofy, and he sort of grew into his himself, and I feel like Jensen looks a little. Roadhart put away wet later. <laughs> See, I feel like in the beginning, Jensen was still acting too much like he was on, you know, like the dynasty or whatever. Like he acted like right. somebody from a, uh, uh, what are they called during the day? Soap, Soap opera. opera. And I yeah. think, you know, even though his his voice and everything's always stayed over exaggerated, which I love about the character, I think he fell into acting a little bit more. Well, as Jared Padalecki these last few seasons can you get through a scene without making 15 weird faces? Like what? <laughs> I just, love Sam's face. Oh, I can't. I was just like, what? What happened? I just. <laughs> Dean. He's, like, he's very tortured. He's a tortured special boy. I, well, I, I mean, that was only cute a for further... a couple seasons. <laughs> I think we're now getting a little further away from the uh, ethical discussion about the show. <laughs> but um, just to kind of wrap up the thirst part of it. Um, Ashley, you know, you had said that for you, there has actually been some kind of like discoveries about yourself and kind of like seeing yourself grow as you your attraction to the different characters has changed that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I realized that when I went from liking little boys to men, <laughs> I mean, 15 year ago, years ago, I was 30. I'm 36 now. So I was I can't math. How old was I when the show started? Yeah, I was 21. 
you know, they're about my age. And I was like, yeah, I went, you know, the young tall guy. But then, you know, Dean, the caretaker, you know, always going to be there. A little, you know, drives the car. Mm-hmm. Has the better music. Makes sense. Drinks the good whiskey. My poor husband has had to deal with this for so long. <laughs> Consumes entirely too much cholesterol. Uh, his, his diet's terrible. Uh, that's an ethical dilemma. <laughs> How, they never work out yet. He says so fit. Right. I mean, you say they never work out, but they do fight with beings with supernatural so. strength on a fairly regular basis <laughs> and come out ahead. So, I will so, say my favorite episodes are when either one of them is a demon and or loses their soul. Oh yeah, that's even hotter. Oh. <laughs> when that, Sam's we just like running those around banging reasons, everybody, clearly, but <laughs> yeah, I like the villains. <laughs> different, different reason, clearly. That's why I was um, so upset when Dean only lost his soul for one episode. They end the season with Dean losing his soul. They go into the next season and they and they, they fix just it immediately. In the first episode. Yep. <sighs> that's that's unfortunate. Um, Whereas Sam goes like half a season. Oh, I love it. Soul. Yeah, and it's so good. He's just anyway, murdering and banging. <laughs> we're, now we're now we're just fanning out about the show. Uh, murdering which... and banging is also a great T-shirt <laughs> idea. Actually, murdering of... and banging is my Sex Pistols cover band. There you go. Uh, yes. You go. Speaking of the X Files, in that season they meet their grandfather, and it's Skinner from the X Files. Yep. Oh, cool. Well, that helps us to make what was going to be a very uncomfortable transition from thirst to family. Um, but let's talk about the, the found now, family have idea. You, of this. Have you let's met get fans of the show? Of Thrones up here. <laughs> <laughs> We're staying away from Wincest for the moment. But yeah, in terms of the. No. Obviously, the show is very much about blood family to start with, in that it's these two brothers who are both dealing with their very mixed and very difficult uh, situation they have with their father and, and having different relations to their fathers and their sort of uh, hunt for their mother and all this. Um, but. But obviously, found family, not just blood family, becomes a very big important becomes a very important part of the show. Talk a little bit about oh, wow, I can't say words. Talk a little bit about that. What is it about found family in the show that really resonated for you? I do love their whole like you know how Bobby kind of becomes their father, and they have these other like figures. But I also feel like if you are another character on the show and you're not a Winchester like one of them, like they'll let you die. <laughs> So they do have like the found family thing. But I mean, if you really think about all the people who are part of their, you know, their family, um, besides Bobby, I don't, I don't who, who would you Wait think was a little closer? Uh, Castile's definitely in the family. Um, Jack obviously becomes family. Although they had a, they, they had a disagreement between Sam and Dean about whether or not Jack was family. Mm-hmm. Um, which was, I think, very powerful. Um, I think that uh, Charlie was close to being family, um, but missed the mark for reasons. Uh, Ruth Connell's character, Rarina, I feel like, graduated to the level of being family because mm-hmm. Sam didn't want to do it. Right? He didn't want to stick the knife in her, but mm-hmm. it, was the, it was one of those things where it was the only way. And... It was saving more family at the expense of fewer family, and like, it was a good moment. I also just really like Rowena uh, as a character, just mm-hmm. like my my favorite. Um, but the the thing is, the show starts with two boys, two two brothers who have honestly a pretty toxic father. 
mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. It was, did a lot of damage to them. It was pretty abusive. But they have this deep love for their physical real father. In the second season, first episode of the second season, their father dies. Goes goes to hell, dies. Gone. Right. Um, from that moment on, every everyone they form a connection with. Oh, I, Jody, I think yes, gets included in the family. Us, yeah. Obviously, Jody. I can't believe I forgot Jody. Um, and, and then there was the the mother daughter duo uh, that died in the explosion in that one episode. Summarily, yeah. uh, Joe and what was the mom's Laura, Joe and oh yeah yeah uh, Joe is right. Um, I Who don't was, remember. And they the had mother's... the cousin that lived in the basement that was hilarious with the mullet. Yes, it was over nine seasons ago. I don't know how we're not remembering this. <laughs> yes, just because like we don't really hear about them again. But Mm-mm. yeah, we we do for like a few episodes afterward, and in in the next season, they're still sort of agonizing over it. But then they have new, fresh deaths of people they care about to agonize over, mm-hmm. right. um, and get killed, like Kevin. Right. And uh, you know who actually survived? Kevin uh, Gareth. Yeah, I mean, he's a werewolf now. Weirdly, but he the made we- it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're they're really lanky, nerdy. Um, <laughs> you could say at the start, kind of wannabe hunter friend who actually came into his own. Um, is a member of the, of the Winchester family. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say that that survived. Mm. Um, anyway, the, the the whole thing is that they when they form relationships with characters, there reaches a point where they're they when, when whenever someone clearly quote unquote clearly graduates to main character status right or or similar um it's because they have become adopted by the winchesters as as close to blood as as mm-hmm. they can have um and this is something i i appreciate it in my media because i think the idea of of found family is very important especially because so many of us at a certain mm-hmm. point in our lives have to uh, move away from our our original home where we grew up and start forming new relationships. And like you, you lose that sort of stable curtain of knowing you're, you know, you've always got your family, your family's always going to be there regardless of what happens. And it's so important to be able to understand that you get to choose people around you that you want to bring that close to your circle and, and have those kinds of connections with for sure. And Mm -hmm. having these fictional characters who, you know, I feel very strongly for clearly watching them for 15 years, Mm -hmm. uh, make these decisions about these people. And not all of them are perfect people, right? They're, they're not all like, okay, you've done the good thing. You get to stay. A lot of them have problems. A lot of them even sometimes cross the Winchesters, but it's okay because you're family. And that it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier with like the the emotional feelings that you know these characters get to have for people when they think you know we don't have anybody we just have each other, and then as it starts to get later you know they start trusting, and I think trust was mm-hmm. such a big part mm-hmm. of the show because it is you know historically not a good you know it's not a good job to have people to trust they got turned on a lot. Yeah. Um, but for them to ab- to be able to keep trusting people, I thought was pretty yeah. important. Yeah, for sure. absolutely agree. Especially after their father right. had set a very bad example, lying to them sometimes, uh, misleading them, quote, for their protection, etc. Oh, uh, something to say about that. 
I think it's uh, I think a big downside of the show was I felt like with that the characters never learned from it. I feel mm-hmm. like each episode for 15 years had one of them finding even with Cass bring bring him into this circle one of them finding something out not telling the other one until three-fourths of the show them getting over the thing them sitting down talking about how they need to communicate and then immediately starting over and doing the same thing in the next episode and it was constant it's their bad their dad set a bad example and they never recovered from it and it was infuriating to watch right because yeah like every single time you're like mad you literally said you learned your lesson last time and you were demonstrably incorrect because you haven't. I know. Uh, and that's that's an important theme in the show too, though, is that every time they do that, they get punished. And so mm. it's sort of like a, a hidden, quote-unquote, moral of the show that, you know, being actually being open and, and, ta- and having the hard conversations early can save you a lot of grief later. Mm-hmm. Um and that you might think you're protecting somebody by hiding the truth from them, but it doesn't turn out good in the long run. Um, and time and time again, that is exactly what happens. And I kind of, I appreciate the lesson, uh, but it is infuriating to watch these characters make the exact same mistake over and over again. Over and over. Yeah, well, I can see that. And I remember, Jacob, when you and I recorded our episode about Supernatural a while ago, that the father story was one that really resonated for me and that I thought was really interesting because we got to see how two different characters who had both had this experience of a very problematic father who they were both very devoted to, but also really recognizing the, the abusiveness of that. One of the most interesting things of the story was that the two of them were at very different points in their journey of acceptance with that. And that mm-hmm. Sam was still in a place of, or I'm sorry, Dean was still in a place of, He's our dad. I'm not going to question him. He told us to go on this mission. We're going to do this for dad. And Sam was much more in a place of like, no, dad lied to us. Dad was wrong. We we need to not follow him so much. And mm-hmm. I think there's so – you're right. That story itself is really interesting, but it also leads to so much distrust and so much um, – and so it makes, I think, the story of this found family feel so much more significant. Um, I also think it's very interesting given some of the other conversations we're having because – this whole concept of found family, I mean, it's I think it's important for anybody who feels you know distant from their family or anything, but in particular, it has so much significance. And I think the term comes from, you know, communities that often were, um, you know, not only distant from their family physically, but but no longer in contact with their family or estranged from their family, often because right. of their sexuality or their gender or their politics or their religion or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why a lot of the fan base felt a, i mean i know certainly i have felt a real connection to and I, I have a decent relationship with my parents now but um i've certainly felt a strong connection to that found family because found family has been so important to me um and i know just in sort of reading a lot of the stuff from the fans about this show that was one thing that came up a lot was that for people who felt like you know i am i am estranged from my own family and i'm really honored and blessed by the found family i've found i've found let me see if i can not use the word found anymore in the sentence i think that, you should keep i think it sounds great add a couple more like it's <laughs> that it's watching the found family that the winchesters found in their process of finding a new family oh, how people really exactly um you know connect to the show for others who hadn't who had found family in that important way i God, found that, that very sense. compelling <laughs> yeah i'm finding myself agreeing with you fondly over these <laughs> 
As my listener numbers go down steadily. (laughs) Unsubscribe, someone else unsubscribe, someone else unsubscribe. I just need to find fond of us. (laughs) You all will have to help me find new new listeners. (laughs) Uh, Nope. Nope. That horse is now very dead. We have beaten it to death. We can move on. Um let's get back to this idea of free will and determination, because this is something I'm always so fascinated by is the more you have super supernatural or deities pulling the pieces around the chessboard, the more you start wondering, well, why do I care as I watch these characters agonize over their decisions? Because they have no agency. The decisions are even made. What was your take, both of you, on how this show resolved that tension of, you know, to what extent the Winchesters did or did not have actual agency? I had a real hard time when they brought the angels in um, and when they started bringing God and all that stuff into it a little bit more um, because I think the whole premise in the beginning was God was missing. Mm -hmm. Right, Jacob? Correct. That is correct. And then it just seemed like, you know, when Cass first came, I was like, this is great. He's super powerful. He can get them out of like all these problems. And then, of course, you know, you have to take that power away from him because then it gets too easy. But then, right. it's, you know, you have little literal angels like we're talking Michael and then you're bringing up Lucifer. And I'm like, they don't have to stand a chance. You know, they get their They get beat up on the average by, the, you know, regular demons. And here they are with these angels. It took me a long time to get on board with the angel stuff. It, it, I kind of was into it from the start, but I, uh, I, my interpretation of angels uh, in fiction tends to assume uh, the Shimigami Tensei series of angels. It's a, it's a series of, of games for those who aren't aware, um, where the 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 people on the quote good slash light slash angelic side of things aren't, you know, your beyond reproach beings but are more just about controlling you mm-hmm. and and uh make and basically enforcing the ideas of determinism and order and they're the vorlons matthew mm. to, to okay. shortcut for you <laughs> yeah and like that, the greek gods and like the iliad is that what you mean yeah okay. yeah like that vorlons um, is a reference to babylon 5 but yes it's a similar kind of idea yes <laughs> um so the so for me when angels came in, uh, I was like, really? For maybe an episode or two. And then as soon as I found out that the angels were not, were, were clearly not always going to be on the side of our heroes, I went, okay, cool, I'm in. Because uh, if you just had this army of uh, very powerful beings on the side of, of, quote, right or whatever, then that it's hard to sell our heroes ever being yeah. in danger. I agree. Right. Um, so I kind of dug it, but I was primed by other media mm-hmm. to be into it. Right. I just loved what they had done, like, in the first couple seasons so much that, you know, it was hard for me. Like, I feel like when the angels came in, they kind of stopped using as much of the rock music. It went over to it just it kinda, it felt like the show changed. Yeah. And it and took. I had to, like, you know, put on my big girl pants and be like, all right, fine, I can do a change. From what and, I saw... It, it definitely felt like that was the moment at which it stopped being the X-Files type show. It stopped right. being it, about investigating folklore and much more about this larger cosmological battle between the forces of good and evil. It had good sides and bad sides. There was a time uh, in the middle where it kind of got back to a couple of the, you know, urban legends type things or dealing mm-hmm. with non-ostensibly uh, based in Christian mytho- Christian mythos uh, stuff. 
But once the angels came in, I, I have to agree with, with you here, Ashley, is that it, the tone of the show and the central plot arcs were centered basically entirely around these big cosmological conflicts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, when we got to getting, getting to the free will versus determinism idea, when you get to the last season and your villain is literally God, who is <laughs> apparently been... Um, manipulating and trying to tell this story using our actors as as puppets or, or as, as as actors um like it it gets tough to be all like well okay what agency did our did our heroes ever really have right they, mm-hmm. they tread a line during the season i think with showing examples where the where, where chuck who is god uh chuck wants to winchester to do a certain thing and they just don't quite do it uh and it it's because they made a different choice that he didn't want them to make and mm-hmm. he gets very frustrated and pissy about it and they do that enough to to try to sort of have that um i forget there's a term for it in philosophy about this sort of uh marriage between free will and determinism this idea that there's a mixture of both um and I don't, like, it's been way too long since I took a philosophy class. I don't remember the term. I think it started with a C, um, with a letter C, but I, I'm not coming up with it. Um, but they're, they're trying to have that, and it, that never really worked for me. Um, but ultimately, the conflict with, the, the conflict of the last season is about sort of claiming, taking their whole free will back it's, it's dean's central conflict for sure mm-hmm. he just he cannot stand the idea that any of his decisions weren't his right. uh, there's there's a really cool moment in one of the the later episodes in the season where uh chuck is trying to have a scenario play out a particular way because he's what he's wanted this whole time to be to be clear is he's wanted the Winchester brothers to kill each one of the Winchester brothers to kill the other. He wants his Cain and Abel story again, like yep. redo electric Cain and Abel three uh, return to Cain. <laughs> yeah. He even um, Dean was Cain for a little while. Correct. Uh, he had the mark of Cain, which oh, is yeah. basically, yeah. Right. Um, that gets into the show specific mythos, but yeah, uh, <laughs> he was, he is supposed to be, Dean was supposed to kill his brother. Sam is the story that, that chuck wants and once again they're right there they're at the moment and chuck's all like i've got him it's gonna happen this time and and there's this moment where it doesn't happen and it's very clear because it there that a choice is being made by dean to lower the gun to to not do it and it's it's very powerful because it, it does demonstrate that at least in the show's universe free will always exists in some form but it might be more difficult to exercise right um but that's also you know galvanizes dean's whole thing of like he thought he was making all of those choices himself and he wasn't he was being led in a particular direction manipulated in that direction and it it makes him go kind of off the rails for a bit because mm-hmm. that's that's sort of counter to his whole character whereas sam I feel like had been more accepting of like, well, what can we do? Like he's just gonna, which obviously that approach doesn't, doesn't win the day. Right. So you need a little bit of, of the, the fire that Dean had to be like, no, you've just got to say, no, I won't one more time. Then they'll say, yes, you will. 
and I think, which I, is a line I'm 100% stealing from somewhere that I don't remember. And I love this because I think this is such an interesting question and, and an interesting way to kind of resolve this. Um, the the philosophical school you're talking about, Jacob, is compatibilism. Um, That's the one. You know, and it, it's about this idea of them being compatible. And because I think one of the things that, it, for me, this has been such an interesting question. And this is, is going to sound a, a weird tangent, but it's very connected to me. To me, it's very connected to why I have such negative feelings about time travel stories. Because often in time travel, once you start to get to an idea of like, this is the way time is supposed to be, then you start to get a question of like, well, is there any determinism? You know, do you, is it all just deterministic? Is it all just pre-decided? Um, I recently did a time travel episode on superhero ethics with Rob McKenzie, a friend of Jacob's and mine, who's been a great constant guest. And he actually made an argument that Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the first Bill and Ted movie, is a perfectly written, perfectly logical time travel story, in part because the characters have absolutely no free will whatsoever. Everything has yeah. been predetermined. It is completely on rails. There is no such thing as Bill and Ted making a decision because it's all been decided already. Um, and, and what I like about the, what you're talking about for this is that it, it does seem to have that kind of a find-the-middle-ground idea, in part because I think... When we see those two things as very binary, there's an idea of either it is I am making this decision versus, you know, a writer is literally saying and then Dean decided to put the gun down. And so the entity that is Dean doesn't get to make the decision. Someone makes the decision for him. Mm. But I think where it gets really interesting is when you start saying, okay, well, does Dean make this decision or does all the feelings that Dean has because of the way his father treated him cause him to make that decision you know does all these other factors and i think that's where you can get into some of this interesting middle ground of dean still gets to exist as an entity but that all these other forces whether they're supernatural or just psychological are playing a role and sort of pushing him to make the decisions that he makes and you could definitely get you could definitely make an argument that chuck's sort of a proxy for the show's own writers mm -hmm. because the character they were writing runs away from them in that they you know, they try to build to a particular decision and then the character dean swerves away from chuck because all of the stuff that chuck has written up to that point actually influences them in that direction which is really funny and is kind of a uh again not sure that was intended but that could be seen like the whole last season could be seen as the writers sort of having their own catharsis about we started changing the show uh, and and wrote ourselves into corners in certain situations right. because there's no other way the character should go than this, well, even though we want to do something else. Didn't they double down and then Chuck had his own book too with, a, with his own ending in it that he didn't know and yeah. only Death could uh, read? That's his death book, yeah. Okay. Um, and that's that was also an interesting thing about the cosmology that they don't really didn't really go as much into... Uh, there's a scene where they're talking, where the Winchester boys are talking with Death, and Death's all like, yeah, someday I'll reap God too. And they're all like, what? You'll do what now? Mm -hmm. uh, and there's always this implication that the Reapers are somehow outside of the creation, right. for lack of a better way of putting it, which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Death has a book for how everybody's story ends, basically. Um, and God was one of them. Chuck was one on the on the in the library or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I was a bunch of writers, I think creating a story in which writers get to determine 
the absolute basis of reality based on what they write. That sounds like a kind of fun thing to write to, you know, aggrandize my own profession. It's been done. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been done better, frankly. It's not bad in Supernatural, but, you know, it's camp uh, by the time they get there. And it, you know, it it leans into it. If you're you're getting into camp anyway, you might as well lean into it. Speaking of camp, in that last episode, I really didn't appreciate the fact that uh, Sam got that call telling him to come to Austin because, you know, that's setting up his new TV show. Like, I'm I'm supposed to think that Sam moved to Austin, became Walker, Texas Ranger. Get your meta BS out of here with that. (laughs) And Ken had just made the joke about it like 10 minutes before. He's like, what if he moves to Texas and becomes, oh, yeah, Walker, Texas Ranger. And then they actually did it. Wait, they specifically I, mentioned that show, Walker, Texas Ranger? No, 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 no. No, they, they, so there's a new show premiering on the CW that is a reboot of Walker, Texas Ranger starring Jared Padalecki as Walker, Texas Ranger oh, rather God. than Chuck Norris. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a, yeah, there's a line where he gets a call to go to Austin, Texas. Um, I think I'm interested to watch the first couple of episodes and see how long that show goes where you could reasonably interpret that this is actually Sam Winchester trying to live a second life. I know. I thought the same thing. I was like, no, we're not going to try to do that. (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty sure, I I admit, I did not see Walker, Texas Ranger, but I'm pretty sure it did not have any supernatural elements to it. Well, it had Chuck Norris in it. Also true. Also true. (laughs) Um, Am I correct that it's been, I mean, obviously the writer's room, I'm sure, has changed a lot, but that the same core writers have been there for all 15 seasons? Yeah, Eric Kripke has been the showrunner mm-hmm. the whole way through. That's um, and I for, there's also... Um, uh, Robert Singer, right? Bob, yeah, Robert Singer. I was going to say Bobby Singer, but that's but the that's character. Right, but that's yes. <laughs> right, though. Yeah, still right. Yeah, yeah, Robert Singer, who whom is... Whom Bobby Singer's namesake has been on the show since the beginning. <laughs> um, right. There we go. Was, there's some way to vocalize this. Um, but you know they've their their core uh, writing team I think has had some changes over time, as they've gotten uh, some Buffy writers over the years, uh, and it's been very clear. Okay, um, not in, in good ways I think. Like there's a lot of overlap in in the kind of storytelling, especially when it gets to the campier seasons, mm-hmm. where it feels a little more Buffy the Vampire Slayer and a little less uh, horror, like almost horror show where they started. Um, that episode but, where they did them like they were playing themselves on the movie set and going through oh, the, yeah. or on the TV set and going like that is one of my favorite episodes. Yep. What, what they, kind of name they, is Misha? Ugh. Yeah, they literally had Eric Kripke get killed by the yeah. big bad yeah. of the episode. Oh yeah. It was awesome. So good. Their wives are in it. Yep. Given that we've gone 15 seasons of the show, it seems appropriate that the episode about the show goes on a good long time, but I do want to not try and go quite as long. Um, if nothing else, there's a Mandalorian episode I haven't watched yet, and that needs to be fixed. Um, mm-hmm. But I know the, so. The one last point I wanted us to talk about was this idea of the pri- of prioritizing self over others. Um, that's obviously been a big topic in the show the whole time. Uh, for you all both, what do you think of how that that question was was discussed and and how it was resolved in the show? I think each one of the main characters, Dean, Sam, and Castiel gave their lives multiple times to to save one of the main 
you know, one of those main three characters. So I do see, mm-hmm. I think they pri- uh, prioritize each other, like Sam and Dean prioritize each other over any of the other characters there. But when it comes down to the three of them, um, they're so willing to throw, you know, not throw away, but to give up their lives to save the others. It, it's kind of a, it, it's a very back and forth kind of thing, I think. Yeah, I 100% agree that the, the thing about this is, while it is noble, uh, in principle, to be willing to sacrifice yourself for so that someone else may live, the degree to which, the frequency with which these mm. characters do it, Sam and Dean specifically, has to be unhealthy. Right? I mean, like, it literally is unhealthy because they keep dying, right? But like, <laughs> I like but, the way but, you talk. You put it out there exactly how I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, I try. Um, but, the, yeah, the, the, there's this, there's a point where, yeah, we're saying, you know, they're fighting these more grander and grander cosmological forces that are, you know, going to end the world in the later seasons, right? Like, big deal things and like sacrificing yourself to save the world is fine um but they're just so as you said ashley so willing to do it that i gotta wonder if that's really the if if that's really mentally healthy um and it and i do think the show actually leans into that a bit about short sort of showcasing that this is an unhealthy behavior because they also call each other on it saying you can't do that. Like at one point mm-hmm. Sam's saying to Dean, you sh- we were supposed to let me die. You were supposed to let that be it. Why? Yeah. We can't keep doing this. I mean, right. Pretty... And it's because Dean made a contract and is going to be like taken to hell in a year or something. Oh, and yeah. just back and forth. Yeah, right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. With the hellhounds. God, this show went on forever. Ever. <laughs> this is this is a common trope, but I'm I'm fairly certain I've seen a meme where someone took the actual page of the dictionary where the term codependency is listed and just pasted mm-hmm. a picture of the two of them. Um, yep. And certainly that was something I got even just in the four seasons I watched, but also in everything else I've read about it, is that to me, I think one of the things that I often think of when I think of codependency or about this idea of prioritizing self over others in, and not doing that in unhealthy ways is when it starts to not be, it's not just, I love my brother or I love my friend or my spouse and I want them to exist, but it becomes, I can't exist without them. Mm-hmm. And that certainly seemed to be a big part of the time you are mentioning there with, with Dean and Sam was that one of them was, was content. I, th- I think it was Dean w- was content with having died, but that the other one, and again, I might be mixing up which one it was, was more in a place of like, I know that you want to stay dead, but I need it's, you alive. I need They you both here. did it. It, it's happened, yes, it's happened with both of them, and both of them have literally uttered exactly that line of, I <laughs> don't know how to go on without you. Right. Uh, and that's Who does, though? What... Doesn't De- Dean for a minute does, and then Sam comes back, he's like, you didn't come for me. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, Maybe right. The there is, there is also a time where Sam comes back on his own and is pissed at Dean for, for not. <laughs> it's like, come on. Well, you told me to, and I finally yeah. did it. I was like, fine, yeah. I'm never going to let you not die again. Right. Um, and it's, this is actually part of why the, the end, the way Dean comes to an end, I think is so poignant. Because... It's a moment where Sam actually lets go of his codependency on his brother because mm-hmm. he does not choose to take the, as Ashley pointed out earlier, many, many canonical options available to him <laughs> for making Dean not be dead. Right. Right? And instead, just 
chooses to continue with his life and just and just carry the weight of missing his brother the, as he lives a apparently very long rich life where he couldn't he couldn't okay i really would have liked to have not seen his son have the tattoo yeah i know why it's there it's it's there to tell us that his son became a hunter but maybe it was time for the winchester cycle to be broken and maybe maybe let's not introduce someone else into this very uh not everyone has to save the world okay <laughs> maybe we can we can look at it as you know he told his son to get it didn't really explain what it was the kid was never a hunter and it was oh, just sure. a way to protect him yeah. on the the dl and have a matching tattoo with dad that's I can see that. Yeah, but Sam's I think over you're his heart. right. He's much more <laughs> yeah. badass. Yeah, he's like. <laughs> I, I mean, given that Sam was the one who most objected to following in his father's footsteps and this idea that he right. had to be a hunter because his dad was, it, it it does feel like it both is the choice to have then Sam's son become a hunter is, on the one hand, I can see it being very disappointing and you know, like Sam wasn't able to break free. You could also see it from the other direction of, you know, Sam has come to terms with being what his father wanted and that, that he is now okay repeating that cycle again. Um, either way, I, this may well be 100% headcanon given that Sam was the one who most strayed from his father's path. The idea that the wayward son is the one carrying on um, is, yeah. I, <laughs> I like that God. idea. It might, might be headcanon, yeah. but I, I managed there, a way to get it into the episode, but I do think that works, you know, in a way there that wasn't really peace when he was gone though. Uh, yeah. The fight went on. Yeah, um, he did lay his weary head to rest. And right out of my mouth, cried, <laughs> and cried his last tear. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Wait, ten seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I think like re- legit. The soundtrack for the show is part of what hooked me in the beginning, and I really yes. wish they had, like in the last season they brought back a lot more of the the classic rock slash quote mullet rock unquote. Uh-huh. And I was like, where? Why couldn't you have just been doing this for all fifteen seasons? There's a, right? there's enough. Um, but uh, maybe they you know that that pulled on the nostalgia strings for me and made me go, man, I remember when. They used to use good songs. <laughs> like the show. Reapers, and they would use Don't yep. Fear the Reapers. I love that. Yeah, the first time a Reaper showed up, and it was a big deal. Uh-huh. Uh, wasn't Darla from Buffy was in that episode, too? That episode was so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they used, in, in the first season, they actually used a lot of uh, Buffy slash Angel alums. Uh, su- a surprising number of them. Uh, and then they were sprinkled throughout. And that was before they had a bunch of Buffy writers, too. So, I don't know. Yeah. Chicken sense. and egg situation. Yeah, I think. it was um, the the WB back then. Yes, they were on the WB rather than the CW. So ninety um, minutes is now well in the uh, rearview mirror of our cars. We're driving down this highway, so I want to start wrapping up. Do either of you have kind of final thoughts or ideas that didn't get to discussed enough, or one more way you want to say that one of the other two of us is totally wrong, or anything like that? I have everything crossed off my list. I think that was great. Yep, I'm. I, yeah, I think I made every point I wanted to make and some that I didn't realize until we started talking that I wanted to make. Um, just sort of a, a wrapping up thought. There are, like, Supernatural's not a perfect show, right? There there are a lot of problems 
that it had over its run. I love the show to pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and will most likely someday actually complete a rewatch and, and try to zero in on, you know, can I pinpoint where things got off track and got back on, etc. Because I love the property enough to do that. Um, but I think it is important to be critical of even the media we very much enjoy. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Supernatural, as as we've pointed out, you know, there's there's a lot to be critical of. In general, though, I think that if they had been able to film with more people for the finale, it would have been better. Mm-hmm. It is not yeah. their fault they couldn't do that. I would have, per- I personally would have preferred they wait until they could to give us a finale where they could bring back, you know, give give us another scene with Ruth Connell, give us another scene with. Um, oh, I can't remember Jody's actor's name, actress's name, uh, for the life of me. But you know, let us see those characters one last time on your on your victory lap because you, they had a whole episode that was a victory lap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's there, it's done, and I'm glad that they actually, uh, as I said earlier, I'm glad they actually chose to end it. And I come out of this yeah. thinking that I appreciate that catharsis in these times more than I would have appreciated um, you know, them going out in a blaze of glory or having the the scene from the end of Angel where it's, you know, let's go to work and then they one of them swings an axe and then it cuts to black and that's the end of the show. Like mm-hmm. I appreciate the ending wasn't ending. Yeah. I kind of feel like they'd always kind of told us that Dean would die and that Sam would be the mm-hmm. one that would that goes on. Um, even yep. though I was expecting it, I still cried like a little girl. And oh, I don't hurt. cry that no, much. When he's it like, hurt. don't move me, don't move me. I'm like, no, 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 they're going to do it. They're going to do it. Please don't do it. Don't do it. And you're just waiting for someone to come. And then and then we starts burning them, even though for some reason they couldn't use real fire. They had to go with CGI, but whatever. Um, mm. And you're like, this is final. Like, this is done. He had nobody yep. there. None of the yep. other people who were still alive to, like, to even like have a funeral for him. It was just really quick, over, done, final. Right, and, I, and that's, I don't know. That's the other thing is I feel like if they had had the opportunity to have the More the other time. actors present, that scene would have been that that scene would have had a lot of faces we recognized, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been a really nice symbolic, like, yes, we're this whole thing all of us have been a part of is ending. Um, it would have been better, and I again I don't think you can fault them for sticking to their mm-hmm. schedule, but. It is unfortunate yeah. that the uh, that the situation we find ourselves in meant they couldn't have uh, everyone around to have the finale. I feel like the show really deserved. I can understand that. And so I've mentioned uh, I'm going to be watching Mandalorian soon. I think this new season has had some trouble that I I think similarly could be uh, it traced in part to. Uh, what's happening with the pandemic and the need to do everything on green screens with a smaller number of actors and the like. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting that this show will then have, you know, we've had two major disruptions to society that have affected television, the writer's strike and this one. Uh, and Ashley kept pointing out the way the writer's strike had affected. I can't think of any other mm-hmm. TV show that will have been hit by both. Um, so yeah. that's an interesting legacy nope. in and of itself. Nope. I think this is the only one. Yeah. But, wow. Yeah, I mean, 15, yeah, right. I mean, whatever else, fifteen years was. <laughs> That's how long it's. But yeah, we've gotten to yeah. see them like literally, you know, grow up. It's just crazy. Well, you know, we grew up, and you know, I'm glad that they still made the show enjoyable for us, like in our you know late thirties and forties, as much as it when I, when I was twenty one. 
right and like we aged with the winchesters like mm-hmm. i continue to be i think as old as jared Bedlecki. it's unreal <laughs> I, I mean if that stopped it would be a much more concerning situation oh yeah i mean <laughs> um well you know but yeah, I, I saw a picture of the them at the end of season fifteen and them on like the first episode. I, it just oh, yeah. hit me how much yeah. they aged. So. They were such babies, little babies, yeah, little babies. So and go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I was just gonna say that like props to them for not only like landing the gigs and being able to carry the show for that long, but like. Doing things like saying, hey, we're, we're willing to do these last three seasons or whatever, but can we trim the number of episodes down by some so we could spend more time with our families? They did things like that, and that's really cool. Yeah. 27 episodes was too much. Um, the 18's even a little bit much, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. That's def- that all makes sense. Anyway, you're trying to wrap up, Matthew. So. <laughs> I am. I do, I do want to actually get a little bit of leftover turkey and stuffing in before our next set of podcasting. <clears throat> but... <laughs> Thank you both. Um, You've managed to do two incredible things, which is one, I mean, just share such great insights that both of you have, not always on the same page, which is wonderful, about this show, but you've also managed to help this discussion be one where I, someone, and this I hope for many of the fans, who hasn't seen it all, could keep up, understood what you're talking about, and really understand that, like, the, the larger issues that this show raises. And clearly there's a lot going on here, both in terms of everything from theology and cosmology to free will to fathers and sons to determination to you know issues also outside the larger show in terms of queer baiting and and what responsible what responsibility writers do and don't have to their fans and and fan theories and all this kind of stuff so thank you so much for this great discussion um to our fans would love to hear what you think um what's your take on dean castiel what's your take on this final season and how it wrapped up the um the god of it all and the uh, different stories that we had. Were you someone who stuck through it for 15 years? Um, did you pop in for a couple seasons? Now maybe this wants to make you go back. Or have we reminded you of all the reasons why you're so happy you quit after season nine or whatever it might be? <laughs> Let us know. Um, Superhero Ethics, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, <clears throat> or superheroethics at gmail.com. But the best way to go and find us is by going to strandedpanda.com and clicking on Superhero Ethics. Uh, there you'll find all the great stuff about what we're doing. You'll also find information about all the other great podcasts happening on Stranded Panda. Uh, My own podcast as well there, uh, the Star Wars Universe podcast. We're about to do, as I mentioned, the next episode of Mandalorian. Those have been dropping hopefully every Friday. Often uh, they don't come out till Sunday or Monday, depending on recording. But we're talking about that. Also, other great podcasts on that show include, on that network include stuff about the MCU Stuff about the DC Universe, Star Trek Universe, as well as PandaVision and Binger's Assemble, where we've been doing lots of great things about more standalone things, um, such as The Boys, Lovecraft Country, Umbrella Academy. And there, especially, you can hear a lot of uh, Ashley's great insights and thoughts. as She's been a frequent uh, uh, guest and co-host and has recently actually put out her own episode all about the horror movies of Sam Raimi. So thank you to both of you. Thank you to all of our fans. Have a great day. Carry on. My wayward son. You will always remember. <laughs> do, 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 do. No, yep, we're done. Okay. No lawsuit. <laughs>